Hello, this is Angela Schaefers, the host of Your Story Matters radio show. Today we have special guest and superstar multimillionaire MJ DeMarco. He is here to share his story, his journey of coming along the path that was set out for him to create a life of happiness and fulfillment. He shares about his book, The Millionaire Fast Lane, and some of the other journeys he has been on along the way to help find his peace and happiness and joy in the world. And he talks about his love for Lamborghinis. Hey, MJ, thanks for joining the show today. Hey, Angela, thank you for having me. So glad to um, have you here to share some of your story and to talk about your book. And I was really interested in hearing some of the background of your story when I first started reading. And I would love for you to share that part of um, kind of where you came from and what sort of led up to where you're at today and writing the book to share your tips and strategies with others. Sure. Um, I came from a single parent household, a mom divorced dad probably when I was, well, it actually started when I was eight years old, but it went on for a good five or six years. Uh, with that, uh, mom, you know, pretty much like a lot of families today, struggled to pay the bills, you know, get food on the table was always a, always a problem. And during that period, you know, I kind of told myself, you know, I, I don't want to live like this for the rest of my life where, mm-hmm. you know, you don't know where you're going to get the, the next meal. You don't know how you're paying the mortgage. We didn't have any, uh, we didn't have the movie channels or the cable TV, you know, and all your friends have that. We didn't have the video games. So it was always a constant struggle for us. And, you know, at the time when I was, I don't know, 12, 13, I was, you know, to be honest, a pretty much lazy and unmotivated kid. Mm-hmm. And I knew that the way to create wealth and to do it young was to be an athlete or to be a baseball player or to be famous or, you know, to be a singer. And I knew that just was never going to happen for me because simply I didn't have that kind of talent. So it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy where I just, you know, became lazy. I kind of gave up on that kind of dream. And one day while uh, indulging in my favorite delight, which is sugar, I was heading to the ice cream store. And again, I was like 12 or 13 years old and I saw a Lamborghini Countach out in front of the ice cream store. Now, I don't know if anyone's familiar with that car. It was a car that was in Cannonball Run, a movie back in the 80s. And it was like a god-awful expensive car, like $150,000. I mean, mind you, this was back in the 80s. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's like a $400,000, $500,000 car today. You know, the car, the doors go up. And this is a car that I have always followed when I was young. I was, you know, it was on my wall in posters, it was in the magazines. So when I saw it live and in front of me, it just it like knocked me over the head and I just stood there salivating at it. And um, the owner of the car eventually came out because believe me, I just stood there and stared at it. <laughs> uh, he came out and he was young. You know, I kind of expected somebody older, but he was, you know, probably in his mid twenties. Mm-hmm. And so I got up the courage to go up to him and say, "Hey, what do you do for a living?" Mm-hmm. 
And what he said shocked me because I was fully anticipating, oh, I play, uh, I play baseball or I, uh, you know, I, I'm an actor or something, you know, something in the famous lines. And he said he was an inventor, which totally threw me for a loop. It totally violated everything that I thought. Mm-hmm. So at that very point, you know, something happened to me. I, I was like, okay, so, wow, I can get wealthy young and not have to do it through being an actor or being, you know, famous. Mm-hmm. So it kind of set me down the path to entrepreneurship as a as a venue to get rich young, so to speak. Now, I know a car doesn't symbolize wealth, but for me at the time, that's what it was. I mean, that, that, that car symbolized wealth to me. So, uh, so that led me down a, a path of wanting to be an entrepreneur, and it started very young. I ended up going to college uh, with that mindset. And the other thing that that, that little encounter did, it, you know, it probably only lasted about 45 seconds, but mm-hmm. I said to myself that one day I will own one of those cars mm-hmm. and I will do it. I will do it young. I will mm-hmm. not wait till I'm 65 or 70 years old. I'm going to do it while I'm young. Mm-hmm. And that's a great aspiration to have. I love that story as you share it in the book also. It was just really cool to read that and and I think many of us can relate to those childhood dreams and fantasies if you will about what Mm -hmm. creates you know that status for us that makes us feel powerful and successful and those types of things but before you go further I want to go back a little bit to your childhood and and you did mention a couple times in the book how your mom was pretty smart herself and just pushed you a lot of times and reminded you about different things that you needed to do sort of your underlying encouragement and inspiration. And you talked about not having some of the things that other kids had. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you speak more to that about how that affected you as far as feeling any sense of shame or did it do the opposite and make you feel like, you know what, I deserve that, I want that, I'm going to have that. And of course we know this is all going back to the mindset of a child, which is very different than the mindset of an adult, but I think it's important for people to look back at their own stories and understand where they got those beliefs and values, as you discuss in your book, too, about money and um, material items and things like that. Anyone will tell you that's been married that financial issues are usually one of the biggest things that end up destroying marriages. Mm-hmm. And I believe that p- played a role um, in my family. And, you know, as a child, I looked at that and said, you know what, it, when I am older, I want to have that piece of the puzzle kind of solidified and stable. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be out of control with my financial plan. And my mom, you know, pretty much encouraged me to say, you can do whatever you want. If you put your mind to it, you know, hard work, you know, the the usual mantras, uh, but she also was from the old school, which, you know, as a young person forced me to rebel a little bit. And by the old school, I mean the old get a job, save your money, don't uh, waste money on foolish things, and one day when you're going to be retired, you know, 65 years old, you'll be retired and rich. Mm-hmm. Now, that's kind of the old school, and she she came from that school of thought, and I was always like, well, no, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to control this aspect of my life. And when you watch a divorce, mind you, it, it wasn't like the divorce that was over in six months. It went on for six years. Mm-hmm. And just to watch that, 
kind of made me, I don't want to say a control freak, but I just wanted to control the major portions of my life. And a financial plan uh, is a major portion of everyone's life. And I believe like, if, if you're in a job, you kind of relinquish control because the, you know, the company becomes the person of control mm-hmm. or the market. You know, if you can't get a job and then you start losing control. So early on, I knew I wanted to control that aspect of my life, even if it meant mopping floors and picking up dog goop and doing all these other mindless tasks that I was doing in my early twenties when all my peers were, you know, in good college graduate jobs. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned in the book, you talk about financial discipline. And I think that with control goes hand in hand, discipline, self-discipline, self-control. Mm-hmm. What would you say to the listeners as far as how you shifted out of that place of lacking in discipline, if you will, and not having the control over your life that you should have had to finding that place where you had true control. The discipline, I think, comes from knowing where you want to go. I knew early on that I wanted the ability to retire young, you know, retire in my 30s. And that wasn't going to happen if I blew everything that I was making. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yes, you have to have discipline. And, you know, while my book talks about, you know, Lamborghinis and nice stuff, that stuff is not relevant if it's not bought with discipline, meaning you can afford it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with buying that stuff if you truly can afford it. But if you're, you know, you're going out and financing a Mercedes uh, over six years for eighty thousand dollars because that's all you can afford, well, that's really not being disciplined because you can't afford it. Mm-hmm. So I knew uh, early that I wanted to retire early, and to do that, that required discipline and. You know, they always say, oh, save 10% of your paycheck. Well, I wasn't saving 10%. I was saving 90% of what I made. Now, mind you, I was making five and six figures a month. Mm-hmm. But most of it was going into my retirement stash, so to speak, so that I know I could, so I knew I could retire at a later date. And when you see the money coming in, it's very easy to just, just go out and buy whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And I had friends that were also making similar types of money, except, you know, instead of having one Lamborghini, they had eight. Mm. And see, and I, and I wouldn't do that. I was My expenses were just linear while my income was exponential. Financial discipline doesn't care what you make. That's what I like to say. It really doesn't care what you make. I mean, you hear about an NBA basketball player who had an $80 million contract, and then after their career, they're bankrupt three years later or an, or an actor who, you know, hasn't been, had a movie job in a couple of years and then they're bankrupt. Mm-hmm. That's because they're lacking the financial discipline. It doesn't matter what you're making. If you're going to spend more than you're earning, you're eventually going to end up on a road that you don't want to be on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an excellent point. I liken that to whether you have that million dollars that you're earning or the 200000 that you're earning in either scenario, if you're overspending, you're not going to get the financial freedom that you really want and desire, and that will help you long term. Absolutely. It, it, while some people are are fretting over their nine hundred dollar mortgage, believe me, there are some other people who are fretting over their nine thousand dollar mortgage. The fretting is the same, but the scenery is a little different. So, exactly. yes, this mm-hmm. discipline is absolutely uh, essential. Mm-hmm. 
And you talk about, which I love, you share in the book a lot of your early struggles and how you lived, and I think that's just really critical to help people to understand that we just don't wake up one day and have a fabulous idea or find the discipline to do whatever. We have to work through things in our past. And you said, change your life by changing your choices. So when you were, you know, in those early years and you worked for different jobs and, you know, you were spending more than you were earning, etc., were there some specific things that gave you that ability to change your life by changing your choices? Because often we hear people say these things and everyone says, yeah, that sounds easy, that sounds great, but you don't have all these things going on that I do. So what would you say to listeners about that? Not to quote Dr. Phil, but... <laughs> He says, what is it, life is not a dress rehearsal. Mm -hmm. You know, one day I was uh, in Chicago. This is when I was struggling, you know, 20-something, living at home with mom, barely making ends meet. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I was miserable, and I was in that position because I put myself there. My choices led me there. And sometimes that's what it takes is something in your life that's just going to hit you smack on the side of the head with a sledgehammer that wakes you up. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was another cold Chicago winter. I was suicidal. I, I just couldn't stand it anymore. It, for some reason, it hit me that I didn't have to live here. There was nothing keeping me in Chicago mm-hmm. other than my desire for, I don't know, comfort and security of living in the basement with my mother. Mm-hmm. Was I ready to let that go or and pursue my dream, or am I going to you know, try to smooth sail this and, and work it out? So I decided at that very moment that I was going to move. I was going to get out of Chicago, and I was going to live anywhere where I wanted to in the country. So I ended up visiting, taking a long road trip, and visiting various uh, cities across the country. Mm-hmm. After visiting you know, various locations, I settled on Phoenix. I think it was about five weeks later, I packed up my little rusty Buick, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles, packed up the car and moved out to Phoenix into a little studio apartment. And I came out there with $900, no job, no family, nothing. But I do remember that point in my life. It was probably the most liberating experience I've ever had in my life. And yeah, I was broke. Mm Mm-hmm. But just to know that I was in control, and from that point on, my life has never been the same. It actually is like two chapters in my life. I have Chicago chapter, and I have Phoenix, Arizona chapter. Mm-hmm. And chapter one was a nightmare, and chapter two has been a dream. That's awesome. Uh, Would you say then that your ability to feel courageous and take some control of your life superseded the fear? Well, the fear of having to live like that for the rest of my life was the modus to get my butt off the couch. Interesting. I like that. Because, see, a lot of people have a fear of the unknown. They have a fear of, well, if I try this or move here or get out of this relationship or start my own business, I'm going to fail. So your fear was the opposite. You worked off the fear of not wanting to be in a certain circumstance. Yeah, the idea of having to wake up. Because in this job, I was a limo driver. And that in that business, you have to get up at four in the morning. You have to fight traffic. And I was just like, "Oh God, I can't do this for the rest of my life. I'm better than this. Mm-hmm. This is not what I was put on this earth for." That fear of having to live like that for the rest of my life, or trying to support a family with that, it was just scary. And I knew I had I had to do something. 
and when I say do something, that's where the hard part comes in because doing something is not just one choice. Yeah, I moved to Phoenix, but I followed that up with hundreds, if not thousands of hard choices to make my dream come true. And I think that's where people end up falling off is they like to you know, make a decision and that's it. They don't follow it up with mm-hmm. execution. Like New Year's resolutions are a perfect example of that. People love to make New Year's resolutions because mm-hmm. it's a it's a event. It's just something that happens. But making it happen, making those those resolutions come true is where the process comes in, where you have to make these decisions and choices and string them up and line them up and make hundreds of them. And that's why people fail at their resolutions because they're too preoccupied with the event and not the process of it all. Mm-hmm. I agree with that, definitely. Or they make a plan and then that plan's not working, so they drop the resolution and boom, they're back to where they started. Our life gets in the way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, the car breaks down, the kids are sick, something you know, something happens and it just and then it's forgotten about. Mm-hmm. I love how the book is all framed around the analogy of cars and driving and the road and that type of thing, hence the name The Millionaire Fast Lane. And there's so many valuable tips in there and, and a lot of insight into helping others to really look at what they think and feel about, you know, their success and money and all those things. Mm-hmm. But to start with, you talked about how do you define wealth. And I thought that was key because a lot of people don't often stop and really look at that and say, for them personally, what does that mean? Will you share with the listeners how you personally define wealth? In my book, I, I say wealth. I mean, you ask, if you ask 10 people, what what is wealth? And you'll probably get 10 different answers. And a lot of those answers will revolve around uh, material items or, or luxury items or lavish luxury lifestyles. I like to say wealth is defined by three things, and I call it the three Fs. Family, which is relationships with your family, your friends, your God, your community. Fitness, which is health, vibrancy, the ability to wake up in the morning and be vibrant and alive. And freedom, the ability to live your life as you want it, to get up in the morning when you feel like getting up in the morning and not to an alarm clock. And I think what happens is what I call the preordained plan for wealth, which is the old, you know, get a job, go to school, graduate, do that for 50 years. I believe that is an attack on wealth. And it's because it attacks the freedom portion of the equation. I mean, how many people do you know or know of that have struggling marriages because spouses are never together because they're too busy out in their job, they're they're making ends meet. Mm-hmm. The kids, you know, the kids are in daycare, so it's a destruction to the family, and it's also a destruction to freedom. And then, of course, when you're working a job for 40 years that you absolutely hate, or you just it doesn't inspire you to do anything, doesn't inspire you to become a better person, or your dream is dead, it destroys fitness. In other words, it destroys your health through stress. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that. I think we, as Americans, have kind of been indoctrinated to follow this plan, which is ultimately destructive to that wealth trinity, to all portions of it. And the fast lane 
really tries to address the freedom portion because I believe if you have freedom, you protect the other items. You protect fitness and you protect family. You protect your health because you have that time to share with your family. You have the time to eat right and, and do whatever. And that is the essence of the fast lane is you want to create something of value to the masses that can create you abundant freedom mm-hmm. so you can actually enjoy that wealth. I mean, I feel wealthy is not because, you know, I'm a multimillionaire. It's because I wake up in the morning and I do what I want. I wake up in the morning and I have freedom. Mm-hmm. And it's just the most incredible feeling mm-hmm. to have. And money, unfortunately, is a conduit to that type of freedom as long as you don't misuse it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. You know, in going through your book, I kind of found three critical um, steps and one was really looking at your perceptions, as you pointed out. Check out your perceptions about debt, time, education, money, and letting go of entitlements and prerequisites. And then I saw that from there you really can discover what your purpose is and then start to develop your process. Would you agree with that line of thinking when you look at your book in an overall sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we are, we are in, if you live in a free democratic society, we have the power to do whatever we need to do. We are an information society, which means whatever information you need to make whatever you want to do with your life is out there. And you know what? It's probably free. And the only thing that's stopping someone from getting that information, that free information, is the person. They're mm-hmm. just they're not motivated enough to seek it out or find it. I mean, Google, you can find pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, books at the library. Uh, podcasts, screencasts, there's free magazines that they give away at various websites. I mean, the information is out there for anything that you want to become. And I, I, I say that because when I started my company, everything I learned in creating that enterprise, I learned after graduation and I learned on my own by going to the library, by going to uh, the bookstore, by hitting the internet. Everything was process to figure out how to do things correctly mm-hmm. you have the innate power the listener to you want to achieve it's just you have to have the discipline to go out and get it it's like uh, it's like an apple tree and all you need is a ladder to go get the apple mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. good analogy so what do you say to people that have this theory that do what you love and the money will follow i mean i know there's a lot more to that saying and that people use it loosely but what are what are your thoughts on that this will probably shock a lot of people, but I am not a believer in that philosophy. I like to say, do what you love, and you'll die as you do. And that's because that philosophy, and it sounds good, don't get me wrong, do what you love is a selfish motive. And it's predicated on yourself. It's predicated on something you love or something you like to do. Now, unfortunately, the marketplace doesn't care what you love. The market doesn't care what your passion is. The market doesn't care. The only thing the market cares about is what can you do for me? What problem can you solve? What issue can you help me out with? What can you do for me? I know a lot of people that are out doing what they love, but they're also two paychecks near broke. And ultimately that love becomes a hate because now they're fighting to pay the bills. That's because the market doesn't care. The market wants to know what you can do for them. To give you an example, if anyone here has read my book and they loved it and it changed their life, do you really care that I love to write it? 
or to hate, or I hated writing it. Does it make a difference to you? Mm. No. You just want to know, is this book going to help me? What's this book going to change in my life? Mm -hmm. And I think as entrepreneurs, the failure comes is when we attack the marketplace selfishly, meaning, oh, you know what? I am a, um, I'm a personal trainer. I love doing that, so I'm going to start a business, personal training. Mm-hmm. Well, does the market need a new personal trainer? Probably not. And what happens is you have all these people doing what they love, and it saturates the market, which means prices start going down. There's not enough demand, and you become in, the, in this like never-ending battle of commoditization for your service. And that's because you entered the marketplace on a wrong premise. I say you enter the marketplace not based on what you love, but based on what the market needs. What, what does it need? What's the problem? What's the pain point that people want fixed? What do you hate that you can make better? And that's where you can succeed as an entrepreneur. And I know it's hard. I mean, I did what I loved when I started. I started a, uh, a mobile audio company years ago. Mm-hmm. I failed at it. Mm. Well, a guru told me to do what I love. Well, that's what I love. So I went out and did it. And I ended up failing not six months later. Mm. Well, there was no market for that. Mm-hmm. And it was only until I tapped the marketplace based on a fundamental need was, was when I started to see success. That makes a lot of sense. So you talk in your book a lot about creating, creating your destiny, if you will, creating your plan, your process, all those things. What do you say to those people who say, I can't create, I can do the job, I can get the job done, I can make things happen, but I'm not a creator? I think that's an excuse. I, I used to say I can't public speak. Mm-hmm. Well, if you, if you want to learn hard enough, you can change that. You can change anything you want to. Anything that doesn't require physical discipline in terms of like, I can't play baseball. There's no, there's no book in the world that's going to make me a professional baseball player. But non-physical disciplines can be learned and trained. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I believe if, if we fall into excuses, oh, I don't know how to do that. Well, that's just an excuse to be lazy. When I started my business, I didn't know how to code HTML, JavaScript. I didn't know that. I didn't know how to write copy. I didn't know how to manage this. There's so many things I didn't know how to do. And I could have just sat there and said, you know what? I don't know how to do this. Mm-hmm. And just gave up. And when you fall into those excuses, you're just, you're just, it's an excuse not to get the discipline to go out and do it. And if you seriously really think you can't do something, you can always partner with somebody. You can always find someone. If, you're, if, you're, you know, if your expertise is people, then you can use that to your leverage to find and partner with people who have the skills that you lack. There's always a way, and I I think excuses are like dream dismantlers, and they're Mm -hmm. just nice little crutches that people can use just not to take action because it's easier to not take action and sit on the couch and watch American Idol than it is to actually turn that stuff off Mm -hmm. and work a plan and do it diligently for months, if not years. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good advice. And that brings me to my next question. What about teaming with other people? What are your thoughts on that as far as bringing the people around you to be within your team to support whatever you're doing? Where do your thoughts lie as far as that premise goes in being an entrepreneur and doing your own business or businesses? The people in your life are, I like to call them, they're like roads. 
they can open some great roads for you or they can open some destructive roads. And I talk about this a little bit in my book. It's like, uh, who are the people in your life? Are they, are they going to lead you to the kind of success that you want or are they going to lead you down to a destructive path? I mean, if your best friend is someone who is always getting caught shoplifting and they're getting high on the weekend and, you know, someone's looking for, you know, a super rich guy to get married to. And I mean, there's, are these the people you want to go to war with? Mm -hmm. That's the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. So I really believe that you have to align yourself with the people that ascribe to your, I like to say, think big mentality. Because I heard someone the other day say on my forum that if you take the average income of your five closest friends, that's where your income will be. Mm -hmm. uh, and not to bring that down to money, but I think that also f flies with mentality. I mean, if you're around constant negative victims and, oh, life sucks. I mean, how could life suck? We live in a free country. We can get up and do what we want to do. I mean, if these people are in your life, they're going to bring you down. And I like to do tell people, you know, don't be afraid of doing a little house cleaning. You know, get these people out of your life and then find people. Either you can find people on the Internet through various business forums, networking events, mm -hmm. chamber of commerces. I mean, al align yourself with a core group of people that can inspire you to become a better person versus being a hater and bringing you down and, oh, that's not going to work mm -hmm. or, what are you mm -hmm. stupid? Oh, that, that's a scam. Oh, that, that. These are not the people you want on your team. Think of them like roads. you got to get people like roads and not to depersonify that but that's what it is i mean if, if if you're in a car and the guy's drinking and driving and you know that's that's a road you might not want to be on mm -hmm. so it's something we have to be mindful for mm -hmm. and the wonderful thing as you said we have the freedom to take a new road or a new path whenever we like I love it. Thank you, MJ, for sharing part of your story and some of the tips from your book, The Millionaire Fast Lane. Can you share with our listeners where they can find the book and access to you if they want further information about all the things you're doing? Absolutely. The book is on sale at Amazon.com. It's also available on Kindle, Nook, uh, iBooks if you have an iPad or an iPhone. Uh, also, I frequent a forum which discusses Fastlane strategy that is at thefastlaneforum.com, and I also write articles, and once in a while I'll do a video that's at fastlaneentrepreneurs.com. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us today. And again, listeners, if you'd like to learn more about MJ or pick up his amazing book, The Millionaire Fastlane, check out his web links and hopefully you'll be able to get on the Fastlane yourself. Thanks, Angela.